Hello and welcome to uh, Useful Idiots, Calling Useful Idiots, the call-in show for Useful Idiots. We're so excited to be here. Make sure you subscribe to usefulidiots.substack.com. I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Mate, and we are here to take your calls. And um, should we just take the first call? Let's just do it. We got John. Hey, guys. Hey. Um, yeah, it's a crazy uh, couple of weeks. I've been seeing a lot of uh, Aaron um, and and uh, uh, also uh, Max Blumenthal. Um, it is insane what is going on. You guys are uh, being targeted, and, um, you know, there's no two ways about it. Um, and, unfortunately, I think the only thing you can do is keep putting it out there and keep, um, you know, uh, seeing, you know, talking with other people. Um, Max just did a, a great uh, show with uh, Richard Medhurst, who is another one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, also, uh, uh, I guess, at the top of the disinformation list. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, you guys just, I, I, I'm praying for you um, because it's, it's, we're reaching dangerous territory, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm, of course, praying for Julian Assange, uh, yes. which I have been uh, for years. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. 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 Doing- that's, the, that's the thing. You know, Julian Assange is facing something that is just um, unthinkable. It's unbelievable what he's gone through the torture he's been under every single day. I think he's let out once a day for a little bit. He's let to walk around for, in a very small area for a short time per day, but otherwise he's kept in solitary locked up. And it's just, um, and it's happening under right in front of our faces by our government and with complete or near complete media silence or even support. It's just, it's so unbelievable to witness and to be a part of. And, you know, what Max and I have faced is not even comparable. It's like a little blip in comparison, but it is something. And I do think they're laying the um, groundwork to try to get us deplatformed. If you read this report that was just put out about uh, Syria, the one the Guardian uh, wrote wrote about, it it ends with basically a call for censorship. They want to see us censored on social media and YouTube and all that. So that's what this is about. And so that's because, again, they can't challenge us on the actual facts, which is what anybody who's intellectually honest would try to do is just try to debunk us if you don't agree with us. But they can't do that. So they want to see us canceled. And so, you know, if that happens, we'll we'll deal with it when it happens. But um, it's it's it, overall, it's just a very it's a scary climate. It just is. And that's the number one way they lie. They just don't talk about Julian Assange. So yeah. that's. You know, when we talk about big lie, that's the biggest lie that the media uh, perpetrates is they just don't talk about the things that are not serving the interests of the oligarchy. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. God bless uh, both you guys. I'll see you later. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Okay. Al. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, thanks for all that you do, both of you. Um, I have a couple of questions, uh, mostly for Aaron. Um, on Syria, it seems like, I mean, I, I listen to you all the time, but I, I feel like I never heard this particular thing. So on Syria, it seems like you get accused of that you deny that there were ever chemical weapons used in Syria. And then your answer is that you um, that there, they weren't used in Duma, which is only one place in Syria. So have you actually said that they were never used or like what exactly are, are, are they criticizing you in a way that that makes you, you know, makes it so that you the the assault is passing the defense? You know what I mean? <laughs> I've um, I've never said that chemical weapons were not used in Syria. What I've said 
is that in all the major cases where the Syrian government is accused of using chemical weapons, the evidence undermines it. In the case of Duma, all the evidence shows that there was no chemical weapons attack and that insurgents on the ground staged an incident to make it look as if there was. And there's a lot of evidence for that, which I can talk about if you want. But uh, in prior incidents, there were chemical weapons used. The, the worst incident was Ghouta in 2013. And that was right after uh, Obama had said that he would enforce a red line, that if chemical weapons were used in Syria, then that would change the calculus. And what he meant was that the U.S. would consider U.S. military force. So when he said that, that immediately incentivized anyone who wanted the U.S. to intervene. And that happened to be the insurgents who were trying to overthrow the Syrian government. As one US, former U.S. ambassador to the Middle East put it to Charles Glass of Harper's magazine, the red line was an open invitation to a false flag. And that's what I believe happened in August 2013 when chemical weapons were fired in Ghouta, a suburb of Damascus, and a lot of people were killed. And the Obama administration immediately blamed Assad, the, the Assad government, and Obama was preparing to bomb Syria. But then he pulled back and he did not. And the story we were told was that he pulled back because Russia came in and offered this uh, agreement to basically remove all of Syria's chemical weapons stockpile because you know Syria does have a chemical weapons stockpile, and that's what and that's what got Obama to stand down. And also, Obama said he wanted to get the authorization from Congress, and Congress wouldn't do it. That 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 was the official story. But later on, uh, Seymour Hersh reported what actually happened, which was that. James Clapper, Obama's director of national intelligence, went to Obama and said, the evidence that Assad was guilty is not a slam dunk. And the term slam dunk was a deliberate reference to mm. what George Tenet said in the Iraq war uh, when he told Bush that the evidence that Iraq had WMDs was a slam dunk. Right. <laughs> so Clapper was deliberately invoking Iraq WMDs to basically tell Obama the evidence was not there. And Cy Hirsch has done a whole bunch of reporting on this. Uh, uh. There of, and uh, Ted Postal of MIT did a study showing that the range of the rockets, the trajectory at which they hit all their various targets, if you calculate the range, it shows the range only could have come from insurgent-controlled areas, not government-controlled areas. So, yes, there were chemical weapons used in Syria. In all the cases where there's been investigations, I think it points to being used by insurgents. And that's because, look, even if you ignore all the evidence, you ignore the OPCW leaks, you ignore Seymour Hersh's reporting – just the logic that the Syrian government would do the one thing that it knows would invite U.S. military intervention. So for using chemical weapons, which don't really offer you much militarily, you're going to risk being bombed by the U.S. It just it, it, it's it makes no sense. And mm -hmm. whatever you want to say about the Syrian government, it's corrupt. It's committed atrocities. Sure. But it's not suicidal. It wanted to win that war. And so then why would it do the one thing that it knew would invite a U.S. military strike on it. It just doesn't make any sense. The people who are fighting the Syrian government had every incentive. So, so anyway, that's a long-winded way to say that, uh, yes, there were chemical weapons used in Syria. To me, all the evidence, when they were used, to me, the evidence points to being used by insurgents. Mm. And, um, and then I have a question about Ukraine. Um, the, and I, I forget the details, but a few days before um, Russia went in, uh, there, there were, or they thought, I mean, there was something where Putin thought there was going to be a, a large attack on the Donbass or something. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. If you uh, look at, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. No. So if, um, if the reason that, uh, uh, the invasion was unjustified in a, in a legal sense, in a moral sense, in whatever sense you want to say, if if true, if there were a a large invasion of the Donbas planned, uh, we, it, it, and it was an imminent threat, although not to Russia itself, but to the Donbas, does that justify Russia's actions? Well, look, in my view, no, or at least not yet. Because I think to justify an invasion, you have to meet a huge um, burden of evidence. And I don't think Russia has met that. 
first of all, I don't even think they've, I don't even think they've convincingly proved their case that there was an imminent invasion. Now there are people who I really respect like Scott Ritter and Jack Bow who believe that there was, and they point also to the reports that were coming out from monitors who were there in the Donbass from the OSCE. And if you look at their timeline, there was a huge jump in ceasefire violations and explosions uh, in the uh, few weeks leading up to Russia's invasion. And the vast majority of those explosions occurred on the rebel-held side, meaning that they were being fired on by the Ukrainian government. And people like Ritter also argue that there was an uh, increased um, deployment of Ukrainian troops, which suggested that an invasion was imminent. And so Russia has said this, but I, I just don't think they've presented all the evidence to prove it yet. And they should if they have it. So I'm not going to say that Russia was justified in, in invading um, because, look, even if there was going to be a Ukrainian attack on the Donbass, Russia could have had other options. It could have uh, called for at least a UN meeting mm-hmm. trying to get a ceasefire, could have tried to get a deployment of international forces. I don't know. I mean, these are all counterfactuals now. But I think to justify military force like that, you have to make a strong case. And, I, and I'm open to it. I'm open to Russia making it. But I don't think I don't think that they've made it yet. Mm hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, no work, Chris. Aaron, also check the text that I sent you. Okay. Okay, no work, Chris. Let's hear from you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, good morning. Hey, I was just going to ask, um, I asked Aaron this last night, but I wanted to hear your opinion, Katie. So this is really just a question for you. Do you think that on the Assange stuff right now that the U.S. has Assange where they want him? I mean, you know, what I said to Aaron and what I, what my opinion is, is that, is that they don't want to do that trial in the U.S. because they would have to expose things that they don't want to expose, right? They have that trial. And so isn't it kind of the perfect situation to just have him stuck in Belmarsh? And is that, do you agree with that? And, uh, yeah. So you're saying that they're hoping that he lose, that he wins his appeal? Sorry, you cut out. What did you say? So is your, is your theory that the U.S. is, is hoping that Assange wins his appeal against extradition? I don't think they want to extradite him. I think they want him stuck in Belmarsh as long as possible. Right. So, so there, you're. Right, I'm just trying to understand. So, you're saying that what the U.S. would like to have happen, because the next step for Assange is he appeals the extradition. So, you're saying that what the U.S. would like to see happen is that he wins his appeal. Well, I mean, what happens then? I, I'm not clear, and maybe. You or Aaron know what would happen if he were to win his appeal. I don't see that happening. The UK is really a puppet state of, of the U.S. They're not going to do anything to cross the U.S. That's, I think, abundantly obvious. Um, but, but So I guess, like, why – if you're saying the U.S. is, is a rational actor um, and they don't want him <laughs> I, I, I didn't don't. say that. <laughs> All right, you're right. <laughs> well, if they don't, if they don't want uh, – if they don't want to have a trial – in the United States, I don't know why they're doing him. Well, I don't think, I think they want Assange in prison, right? I mean, that's that's obvious. They don't want him out. Right. But I also think that the trial would be embarrassing to them, right? I mean, I think that that some of the details of what he what he exposed would have to be, you know, Yeah, but it probably, or, would, is there any reason to think that they would have it public? Well, I actually don't know. I mean, I it wouldn't be a court martial, right? It'd be a public. It'd be in a federal court, right? So, I yeah, mean, but I try to. Who, I don't know, but I could imagine they would try to get it sealed. That's what. Yeah, that was something I asked Aaron yesterday, and yeah. I'm not. I think would they would try and keep it private. But it was interesting to see that. What's his name? The French guy, Melon Melanchon. I think yeah, something like that said that he would uh, give Assange citizenship and 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 he prays on him if he were uh, prime minister or president. They don't have a prime minister. So yeah. anyway, 
that, that's I just I'm just not convinced that the U.S. wants it to get to trial. I think that if it did get to trial, I think that you're right that it would try they would try to to make it as secretive as possible. Yeah. Even though it wouldn't be a court martial, it would, it would be in a federal court, and generally those are public uh, exercises, public proceedings. So, anyway, just something interesting. Uh, last thing, just a comment. I freaked out when I when I went to click the video in the email for the extended uh, show last Friday because it, it uh, Matt put some like this video has been taken down or put some like some clips on on the thumbnail and I thought your your video had gotten uh, had gotten censored by YouTube. I was glad that it did. Yeah. Yeah. People I'm got so- confused. I thought it was funny. People got it confused. I, once but, I yeah. clicked on it, I thought it was funny, too. Yeah. At first, yeah. I was like, they got you already. But anyway, thank you, guys. Yeah. I wonder how many people, like, didn't watch because of that, actually. Because you can't change I the still, thumbnail. Anyway. I sorry. clicked it. <laughs> thank you. All right, thanks. But in fact, Aaron, we should send out another email to our people, to, to Substack people, and say, just to clarify, that video is watchable. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. All right, cool. Um, next, what do we got? Johnson. Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yes. How's it going? Uh, it's good to be with you guys. Yeah, I uh, appreciated the show today. I, um, you know, I kind of had uh, more of a question sort of comment when um, I really appreciated sort of Aaron's uh comments about censorship, political censorship, like this, you know, shouldn't be happening. Uh, you know, as soon as you're doing it, you're, you're, you know, doing something, you're, you're doing something wrong. Um, and I'm becoming like more sensitive to what's, what I'm being heard and what's being shared. And, uh, as a graduate student, you know, I'm, you know, looking at a lot of topics and subjects that, uh, are being presented as like, you know, these are sort of political, <laughs> these are political situations. Um, uh, and, you know, you know, the things that I'm being told to write and being told to, to, to share and say, I think are, are starting to be, are starting to be censored. <laughs> I think I'm being kind of more or less censored in graduate school where um, folks are, um, you know, I'm sort of assigned this uh, counselor or mentor who's who's pretty much telling me, you know, don't, um, you know, don't lead, don't don't share your opinions, don't, uh, you know, talk about, you know, these issues, you know, because they're sort of hyper focused on culture, racial racial issues, um, you know, where I'm more focused on just like material improving material conditions, you know, as a as a a policy student and a public health, um, uh, policy public health uh, graduate student. And so, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm being encouraged to talk a lot about culture and not about um, material conditions of folks and how, um, and how that might work uh, in improving the health of populations, um, social epidemiology. But yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I guess, you know, I'm going to go back and watch uh, Useful Idiots. Um, I missed it this week, but yeah, I mean, just any, you know, thoughts or advice or anything on like that? Well, I have limited experience with academia. I only did my undergrad, but I remember I was in political science for a couple of years and I, I had to leave it because the basis of it, I thought was a scam. The idea that like there's some science to politics and like fixed rules as if this is like organic chemistry. And what the rules were really were just reinforcing the, you know, hegemonic U.S.-led order that I personally, I'm not a fan of, <laughs> you know. So, but yet I had to accept the narratives that are used to sustain that or that order as like hard science, and I just thought that was so ridiculous. So academia is tough, and academia, like all elite institutions, will try to root out dissenting voices. I mean, we see it in the media too. There's a really there's a really sophisticated system in the in the West where, you know, 
there's no state board telling people what to say or not to say, but the uh, powers that be just make clear that if you cross certain lines, you're going to be punished. You're going to be called conspiracy theorists. You're going to be accused of spreading disinformation. And those that serve the state will be rewarded with promotions and uh, columns and all those things. So um, it's difficult to navigate whether you're in media or in academia. And um, yeah, and that like the system is designed to make you lose your principles. And so it's tough. It's tough. And everyone's got their own journey and their own path to forge and how they navigate that. But it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with making compromises to do what's best for you. You know, we all have to make compromises in, in certain ways. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. And I think um, at least talking about it is good. And talking to like-minded people will, will help you deal with the challenges you face on that front. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate those words. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the liberal bias, I think Chomsky's like the liberal bias doesn't mean what we think it means. You know, it's like, because yep. I go to a school and every, like all these people, you know, consider themselves to be quite progressive, quite liberal, but you know, that that's the line, right? Look how progressive I am. It's this far and no further. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, yeah. And I, you know, and, and meeting, talking to like-minded folks has been, um, quite challenging. Um, mm. but yeah, no, I appreciate it. And like any kind of, um, I'm hearing a lot about what sort of happened, uh, with your situation, Aaron, but I'm not totally fully up on it. I'm going to go back and watch useful idiots. Is there anything I, I could watch for given my kind of situation or be thinking about while I'm watching that episode? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, it, it's, uh, the video that Max Blumenthal and I did on this uh, was censored by, by YouTube. So, but you can still find it on Rockfin and Max Blumenthal's channel there. It's also available as an audio version on my podcast, Pushback. But uh, just in general, look, there's just a lot of slime balls out there. That's what you know. Hannibal um, Hannibal Smith, the character of the A Team, which was my favorite childhood TV show. That's what he says in the last episode of the A Team. He says, "There's a world of slime balls out there." As the A team vows to continue, you know their spoiler, their, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. They 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 vow to continue fighting for the little guy against slime balls, and so you know that's just what you got to remember. Is there are a lot of slime balls out there. There's so much careerism and opportunism, and people will, you know, even your friends will um, will throw you under the bus if it's deemed uh, good for their career. I mean, I, I'm waiting for Katie to sell to sell me out at, at any moment. So. Um, just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. But honestly, no, l- listen. You know, just just do your best and don't take the failings of the system you're in personally because it's it's about something much bigger than all of us. So when are we turning on Katie? I I, I, I missed that part. <laughs> no, thanks, thanks, you guys. All right, Gregory. Yes. Okay. Um, I had a question for both of you. I'm kind of a free speech absolutist most of the time, but one of my friends has um, presented an idea, and uh, like some studies been done. It's a, it's called the illusionary truth effect. It's basically I'm going to try to sum it up here as best I can. It's where someone just repeats a falsehood over and over again. Like if I say uh, banana blue, banana blue, banana blue, and eventually it seeps in. So how do I kind of counter that? Do you guys have any idea? Have you, have you ever heard of this effect? And what would it mean for free speech people, supporters of free speech today? Sounds like the big lie. Yeah, the big lie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the really, really big lie. I mean, Goebbels talked about that, repeating a lie enough. But this sounds like something different. Like this is just an associative thing. No, no, I think you're pretty much on the same the same track. Yeah, it was called the, I think it's illusionary truth effect. I, I might be saying it wrong, but it's it's basically what you were saying, Katie. Yes, that just a matter of spouting off bullshit enough, and some of it seeps in. And one of my friends is kind of against free speech on that point alone because he says no. Scientifically, humans' brains aren't hardwired to resist 
misinformation. Well, I, how does he know that? I mean, uh, I don't think there's any fixed rules about the human brain like that. Unless I'm wrong. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but look, All I right. think, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll email Katie about it. I, I, don't, I don't have your email, Mr. Mate, but I, it's, it's, a, it is a phenomenon. It's been, it's been scientifically proven. It's just something that happens with our brains. I guess I'll, I'll have to just shoot you guys an email about it. Cause I asked, I asked Primo Radical or Primo Nutmeg, whatever. I asked him about it and he, he kind of said, well, it all depends on who you're going to trust as being true and being, you know, like what is truth? And I mean, that's kind of like a, I don't know, I guess a softer answer than I was hoping to have, but I, it's just a point of contention between me and more of my, um, I don't know, censorship leaning friends. And I just didn't know if you guys have ever encountered that or if you had any ideas. Well, I'm for free speech, and I just don't accept this notion that people are incapable of discerning the truth. I think propaganda systems make it difficult, obviously, as they're designed to do. But I don't believe in, you know, advocating censorship based on, uh, you know, conclusions about human nature that I, I myself don't don't accept, or at least haven't seen proof of. And also, look, even if it was true that humans can't, uh, don't lack, I mean... First of all, like, who are we talking about? Because then are we saying that all of us are just susceptible to being dupes forever with, without correcting ourselves? I mean, then I think we're just shutting down the, the, the basis of human inquiry. And I just don't, I can't get on board with that. All right. I'll have to do some more research, reach out to you guys and see what you think. Because it's really, it's really troubling. The, the, the Wikipedia blurb, I know that's not the best source, but that I read about it, it was pretty, uh, pretty scathing. I, it, it got it. It wasn't Got comfortable it. to read that crap. Got it. Thanks anyway, for the call. Love the show. Free Thank Julian you. Assange. Katie, you have the best hair. Kisses, guys. Goodbye. Amen. Hey. Amen on all fronts. All right, Paul, you're up. Good thing to do with Wikipedia. You should just click on the source. Then you get to sound like you're... Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. Um, so quick question. With everything going on with Ukraine, the sanctions of failing, Russia reorienting its economy with China. In short, is this our Suez moment? Uh, I don't know. It's pretty bad right now. I mean, I think just today the rubles at its highest point yet against the dollar or something like that. Um, and the, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not such a huge history buff, so I don't, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to make these historical analogs, but it's a moment. It's a bad moment. The proxy war is not going as well as we've been told. And uh, a lot depends on what the U.S. decides to do. Is it going to continue using Ukrainians as cannon fodder and uh, allow more people around the world to die? And actually, the answer so far to that is yes. There was an article in the Washington Post a few days ago that said that the administration, it's, it's saying this based on speaking to administration officials, saying that the administration is willing to countenance a global recession and mounting hunger. That's pretty much a direct quote. So the people mm -hmm. in power are willing to countenance hunger and economic deprivation just to deny Russia a victory inside Ukraine. And what that means for U.S. power globally and the U.S. economy, it's, you know, I think it's a bad omen, but we're not being led by rational people, I don't think. Right. Did you see the uh, interview with the BBC and Lavrov just the other day? I did not. You should look it up and watch it. It was really interesting. Lavrov seemed to be kind of at the end of his rope and saying, like, we're kind of done with you. We're done with the West. We can't trust you anymore. And that's it. Oh, it was very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I, I believe that. I mean, that's what I think essentially th this Ukraine war is about with Russia. They knew that do invading Ukraine will permanently rupture their relations with the West, but they don't care because they just see a West that they can't trust based on the expansion of NATO and what's happened in Ukraine since 2014 and, you know, uh, pulling out of arms control treaties. I mean, I, I think Russia is done with the U.S. And that's why, I mean, I don't even know at this point if Russia would even want to negotiate with the U.S. Uh, in Ukraine. I, I, it might just be there just to achieve whatever goals it has and then leave on its own terms. Uh, um, it's, <clears throat> and that's, it's scary because that just means more suffering and death, but that, that could be where we're at. Right. Katie, do you have any 
Thoughts on that? You're which, muted. Sorry, on which part? Uh, on the um, Suez moment for us, for the U.S. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think maybe the U.S. will regret what it's doing. But we'll have to see. Right. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate being able to call in and ask you directly. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Rev. Oops. Take my phone, right? Okay. Hi, how you doing? Hey, Katie. Hey, Aaron. Hey. I mean, uh, quick question. I mean, just a thought. I mean, I'm wondering if they're not going to try Julian Assange in secret. Being as they're, of your thoughts, bringing him here under the Espionage Act, which is ridiculous because he's not a U.S. citizen, but wouldn't they most likely say, well, in the interest of national security, we can't really televise this? It's, it's like it reminds me of that line in Casablanca, you know, Victor Laszlo, just one line in the Paris paper, Victor Laszlo arrested, taken to, you know, a concentration camp. You know, I, I wonder if it's, it's going to happen that way. We're not even going to see it, or we'll see very superficial stuff in the, in the corporate press. And I don't know your thoughts on that. I think it, it probably would work that way. I don't think they can pull that off a secret trial. I could be wrong, but, you know, when Chelsea Manning was tried, that wasn't even in secret. I mean, certainly there was a lot of, like, the the court is rigged, that's for sure. And if Julian Assange mm-hmm. is tried, he'll be tried in the Eastern District of Virginia where, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, like the, the, the judge is basically a wing of the national security state. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, but in terms of having it totally secret, uh, it's possible they'll, they'll they'll get some classified, uh, like that that they'll invoke some provisions to classify some of it or something. But I don't think they can get away with trying him totally in secret. But regardless, look, it's going to be completely rigged, and he'll have no chance of a fair trial. I mean, that's just absolutely yeah. for sure. I, something maybe you could help me with because I'm getting a lot of the static from people around me. Like Julian Assange as a journalist, people are coming at me saying, "Come on, Ed." This guy, like, he's, he's no more a journalist. This is what I'm hearing. I'm not saying I agree. Than somebody who orders their ordination for twenty nine ninety nine is clergy. Like, how does one counter that argument? I'm getting that a lot. Like, well, Ed, he's, he's not protected because he's not a journalist. And I'm like, I don't know enough about what qualifies and how that works. Perhaps you could help me because I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, according to some people, journalism is some sort of elite club where you go to Columbia Journalism School and you get bestowed the title of journalist. But journalism, to me, is just the act of journalism. And someone, I'm going to mute you, Rev. Oh, sure. You, you don't need um, someone to bestow upon you some, some title to be a journalist. Journalism is the act of doing journalism. And Julian Assange has exposed a number of ex- incredibly important stories by publishing them. So he's certainly a publisher and people who work in publishing are considered being in the field of journalism. So I actually think he's a journalist and that's why he's won more journalism awards than I would say all of his critics combined. He's won every single major journalism award you could win around the world, except for the Pulitzer. But of course they never award him here because how corrupt our system is here. And they don't like to reward people who actually expose the U S state. They only like to generally expose people uh, to, to reward people who don't, you know, uh, really, really challenge power. Although there are obviously some exceptions. So yeah, I think by all standards in terms of credentials, awards, publications, Julian Assange is a journalist. And this smear comes from people, especially in the field of journalism, who don't like that Julian Assange has been so successful and don't like what he does. They don't like that he exposes their own government. Uh, and they see journalism as serving the government, not exposing it. The other thing is that if you want to say that these people, okay, so let's say he's a publisher. If he's a publisher, then why is what he did criminal when the New York Times, which also published it, uh, not criminal? Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly. And they can't answer that. Right. All right. Thank you, Reverend. Reverend. Dermot. Great name. I love the name Dermot. Hi there. Uh, can you hear me? 
Yeah. Yes. Cool. Thank you for loving the name Dermot. I, I don't. Swap. <laughs> um, I'm not prefer to be called Katie or Aaron, but um, thanks for taking my call. I just have a, a very general question for you, which is about sort of credibility and provability in terms of, I guess, current affairs and the stuff we talk about, or the stuff you talk about, I should say, a lot, and which I uh, listen to a lot. Uh, for example, um, I mentioned to somebody on Facebook in the last few days that the whole Russiagate thing is a fact-free crock of um, rubbish. And he came back with, you know, basically the opposite position. I was kind of thinking, right, how do I easily disprove the whole Russiagate thing? Um, uh, you know, there's a whole list of things that I could mention that are hard to easily disprove. For example, somebody, I, you know, I spoke to somebody about Assange recently, and she immediately came back with this idea that, oh, well, he's, you know, he's he's clearly down for some kind of sexual abuse in Sweden. And, uh, you know, I couldn't easily come back and say, well, you know, that's that's all rubbish. And that was probably something cooked up by the, you know, security state and the spooks to try and discredit him, which is an old ploy. Uh, for example, the Paul Manafort visit, the alleged Paul Manafort visit to Assange in London, which was written about in The Guardian uh, in November 2018, remains, the article still remains up. But I hear, you know, from the likes of yourselves that that is, you know, again, a crock of rubbish. Um, so I guess my point is how do, you know, I'm sympathetic to your position on just about everything, along with, you know, the grey zone and various other, you know, what I might call left wing commentators. but when I'm preaching, trying to preach uh, to friends and um, family about it, I, I, I get unstuck because people will ask me, well, what's your proof? So that's my question. Hello. Aaron, I'll let, Aaron, I'll let you handle the Russiagate stuff because that's your area of expertise. Um, one thing I would say about Assange and the sexual assault allegations is, okay, well then let them investigate that. This has nothing to do with what he's being tried for. And in fact, they, uh, you know, they never charged him. But again, you know, you don't get to just try someone for espionage because they sexually, allegedly sexually assaulted someone. Yep. And then another thing that I say to people who are skeptics about Julian Assange is I recommend this book or I just I bring up the fact that there's a guy named Nils Melzer who we have interviewed on Euphodius and I've had him on the Katie Helper show. He is the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture. He wrote a book called The Trial of Julian Assange. Mm. Um, and he started out very skeptical of Assange. He didn't even want to look at it when they asked him to look at it. And he's determined um, that he was indeed tortured. And he totally switched his mind on it once he looked into it. And this guy is not political. You know, he's literally the UN repertoire, special repertoire on torture. So mm. I bring that up also. And because he believed all those things about him at first, that he was a rapist, that he was a, you know, attention seeker, uh, all that stuff. A very unappealing character. I distinctly remember reading something, I think, in The Guardian a few years ago, where there was actually reference made to his bad body odor. And there was this whole sort of character assassination in, in the article. I think it was The Guardian. And I was I remember being kind of surprised at the time that, you know, surely this is a sympathetic journalist from uh, WikiLeaks who has brought, you know, lots of useful information to light. Uh, yet there seems to be this kind of tilt against him personally. And, you know, body odor. What the hell has his body odor got to do? with anything but yeah yeah and in fact they one of the things that Nils Melzer writes about is that before he was released they took away his shaving kit like three months before because they wanted him to look unseemly uh. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so I appreciate that. And, you know, again, just finally, well, just to recap that, you know, is do you think that there is easily a sort of a bibliography or do you suggest a bibliography for the defense of many of the points that, that you would make, you know, for example, even around Ukraine, when I argue about that? With my partner, who is uh, a, sort of an academic, she immediately comes back with, well, you know, where's your, where are your references? Where are your sources for, for this? And I can say, well, I watched this video with Scott Ritter. I watched a video with uh, WikiLeaks, you know, not WikiLeaks, the Grey Zone. I listened to Useful Idiots, dot, 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 dot. 
but you know that's what I tend to do is I listen to a lot of stuff on YouTube and I read the odd bit but you know I lack actual hard facts or easily quotable stuff and references and I'm wondering do you suggest a bibliography or should I just go and kind of you know um, just dig out the, the, the data myself and just do the damn research? No I mean you can show videos you can show videos listen to podcasts um, uh, you know I have there's a really good David Harvey podcast I just heard Although you guys are Irish and he's English, so that may be a little bit triggering. Oh, God, you know, we're not that narrow-minded here. All right, all right. Well, I'm just trying to be a good uh, Irish ally. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, your partner can – I would just recommend some videos. Um, uh, I, You know, we should put together something. Aaron and I, we should put together a bibliography. But um, I, I, I would really appreciate that. I think I would suggest that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah have- sorry. Actually, listen um, – we're actually not going to do that because that is another research project that I don't have time for. But I am working on a book about Russiagate and how it led to the Ukraine war, which uh, will be out as soon as I can get it out. And uh, look, there, there, there's plenty out there in, in print. Um, I've written a lot about this topic. Uh, it, the, the, the problem is it's, you know, it's difficult when you have, a, you know, like all these other responsibilities to do research. So, so I, I hear you. It'd be nice to have a resource that can point people, but I just, I, I, I'm not going to do that because I don't have time, but, but, uh, but I hope, you know, something like that does develop and hopefully when my book comes out, that will be helpful. But, you know, I, in general, just follow the, the, the people who you trust and look up their writing. I mean, I've written, if you, if you follow what I do and you think it's credible, then I've written a bunch about Ukraine and tried to address all the various narratives. So it's there in print. It just, you know, it, it takes a while to read sometimes and pe- some people don't have time for that. And that's fair enough, but, um, yeah, that's Aaron, about it. Glenn Greenwald Substack, they have good this. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. Okay. I don't want to take a, a, any more time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. All right. I guess I'll do that bibliography because I promised it. All right. Yep, sorry, Katie. You're, you're on the hook. I'm on my own. Yeah. All right. All right. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi, Kate. Yeah, we hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, well, first of all, I wanted to respond really quickly to Gregory, who was talking about earlier about how humans are sort of um, fallible to propaganda. And I mean, I, I believe that's true. I just think that humans do censorship too. So if you believe that people are fallible, um, you shouldn't want, um, you know, a bunch of fallible people you know, who've been insulated and bombarded with propaganda and live in like an elite circle um, to have the power to censor other people. Um, but the main thing I wanted to wanted to talk a little bit about was just in the context of Assange. Um, I think that we should we should talk we should use this as an opportunity to talk about jury nullification um, because um, if you're on a jury, you have you have the you know not just the right but the duty. Um, to look both at the facts and the law um, and the, whether you think they're just. And if you don't think they're just, I mean, they're never going to instruct you this, this. This right has sort of been, they don't tell you about this in a court anymore. Um, the judges don't tell you, um, but they used to. The chief justice, the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, John Jay, um, would instruct juries um, before, before he was on the Supreme Court, which doesn't hear from jury, doesn't have jury trials. Um, but he would instruct jurors that you have a right to take upon yourselves to judge both the facts and the law. And we just, we, that was always part of, that's the reason we have, you know, the sixth amendment is, you know, we have the right to uh, a trial by a jury of our peers, you know, in a felony case. Um, And that's, that's the core of it is that if you think a law is unjust, if you think the sentencing um, isn't um, for a law is unjust uh, and you're a jury you have to fight for the, for the person and you have, you should, you know, inform the rest of the members on your jury that you, um, you think it's unjust and you think, you know, that all 11 of you should vote, um, to quit. Um, and you should, you know, if they won't go along with that, then you should have, you know, force a mistrial. Um, because you know, that, that's, that's what the, the right to trial by jury secures. It's not just, a right to to have the ju- jury like narrowly decide on actual questions. They also decide what um what the what the 
country should be allowed to do what they should be allowed to prosecute people for. Uh, and, and this isn't the kind of thing that they should be allowed to prosecute people for. Interesting. Will that get you kicked off, though? Um, it, I mean, so they'll probably use a preemptory challenge if you say that in, um, if you say that in jury selection. Um, right. But they're not going to directly ask you if you believe in jury nullification and jury selection um, because they don't want the jury to know that there's, there's um, right. jury, jury nullification. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I think that we should know that we should know that in context other than just Assange. I mean, there are a lot of people who push for this. Um, there's a website called the fully informed jury association. Um, that's a good resource on this, but a lot of people push for jury nullification in the context of like, you know, crimes that are unfairly sentenced based on race. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we should just pay attention to this when it's, you know, a white man being prosecuted, but this is a, a particularly poignant case where there's a, a a law that you know that in the espionage act that obviously shouldn't be used in this way and it shouldn't be used um it shouldn't be used to deny us the freedom of the press so um so anyway so i hope that people will do that yeah and hopefully uh there's a jury in this you know the sanjis for uh, future jury members are listening to this yeah yeah hopefully one of them out there at least um knows their rights and can inform the rest of the jury of of their rights and obligations on a jury. And, you know, because Assange deserves to be, I mean, he should be allowed to plead a public interest defense in court, um, but they're not going to let him do that. And uh, jury nullification is the only response to that. They used to, like, there were trials in the North where, um, you know, people were tried for violating the Fugitive Slave Act and not returning slaves um, um, to, you know, their masters. And, Northern juries would routinely vote to nullify. And, um, you know, they also, um, you know, like there's been cases like um, the jury in the Dr. Kevorkian murder case um, famously voted to nullify. So it's not, it's a power that juries have. Oh, interesting. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks. Kate. All righty, let's go to Mark. Uh, make next call, okay. Hey, Katie, Aaron, how are you? Good, you? All right. Yeah, uh, um, jury notification. I remember, like, watching some documentary on it, I think, and even, like, bringing it up to the jury, I might get you in trouble uh, in certain courts, and... Even if, like, you're outside telling people, like, jurors coming in to the courthouse, you can get arrested, too, I think. I remember hearing that, which is kind of creepy. But, um, I had a question about the video that got banned. I have, like, a rough idea what it's about, but, um, why don't you do, like, a smaller video, I guess, laying out all the details of it, um, I don't know if... We did that. It's called Useful Idiots. It's called Useful Idiots. Oh, okay. But the one that got banned was like two hours, right? Uh, yeah, but we, you know, and you can still get that on Rockfin, but you should listen to the one on Useful Idiots because that's the one that's more up to, up to date. I also huh. did a thing on it on uh, The Hill on Rising, but yeah. Okay, yeah. I, 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 uh, I think I saw one of them about it, and that's how I yeah. know about it. Um, so I guess, why, did, why didn't those videos get taken down or or you know what what's going on there it just seems weird well i highly recommend you watch uh this week useful idiots because that answers all the questions oh this week's um do you think yeah, it will get banned week, like the past no it won't get banned if it does well you'll have seen it before but no this last week's useful idiots was with max blumenthal he talked about all of this precisely huh well, it just seems it just seems weird to me that that doesn't get banned either. But okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, if it's if it's why. bannable, if it's bannable for a, why is it not bannable? Well, because it's going after the more aggressively than they are going after useful idiots publicly. Because as we know from the plot, that was they didn't focus, they didn't talk about useful idiots. They talked about the video. and probably because it would be get too much attention to be banned again on another event, you know, another video on it. 
So they failed. They, they <laughs> bullying and harassment. But anyway, watch the video. Just watch the video. Everything. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. Let's see. Uh, Jonathan, next caller. All right. Yeah. Um, the uh, illusory truth effect. I actually follow it and followed by some of the authors of that study. Um, it's basically just a uh, a an observation about the way uh, certain things are consolidated into long-term memory and tend to invest and stick in people's brains um, and and what doesn't, including uh, the observation that uh, some false information, even if it's, uh, you know, later debunked, the, uh, the memory of the false information kind of uh, sticks in an area of the brain uh, that requires a lot less energy to consolidate uh, whereas the more complicated debunking fades a lot faster. And so when people hear a lie repeated, even a year or two years later, uh, it seems familiar to them and more likely to be true uh, because, oh, yeah, I've heard that before, and they don't remember the context. The context fades. And so there are a lot of people in the quote-unquote disinformation space that have been freaking out about this observation, some version of which has been known for a long time. And the notion that it justifies any kind of censorship is, is uh, patently ludicrous. And I think most of the study authors would quibble with that assertion as well. And it's, um, you know, it's one of those things about, you know, just human nature and the human brain. It means there's a certain degree to which we're all vulnerable to various types of propaganda, but also the notion that most of these authorities on, on quote unquote disinformation uh, would, you know, would be able to protect people from this phenomenon or censor it is, is also belied by a lot of the war propaganda we saw uh, with the Ukraine phenomenon. In fact, one of the authors actually uh, pointed out some of the uh, pro Ukraine war propaganda that was flooding the zone uh, used a version of one of these observations of conditioning uh, a lot of the the propaganda they were circulating, whatever lies or misinformation, with a photograph, which helps consolidate it into people's memory and is more likely to make them believe the thing is true uh, than uh, just the print alone. So, you know, they were posting out-of-context photos with a lot of these assertions, including, uh, you know, these all these photos of Ukrainian soldiers with tats, for instance, uh, that, uh, you know, some of which you could see were not Ukrainian or not taken in the context of any sort of combat thing or anything of the sort. And they were just attaching them to that thing. These are old propaganda techniques that were kind of validated by the study. They're not things that were completely unknown. So uh, it doesn't justify censorship at all. And in fact, we've seen that uh, when the uh, when the thing actually supports their, you know, when they want to use it basically to, you know, for their own purposes, they'll let it slide. And uh, when it goes against their narrative, they'll want to censor it. And which is precisely what you guys have been warning about and why they shouldn't have that power in the first place. In a free society, you just have to, you know, basically eat the cost of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, like, you just have to, you have to accept that there's some degree you're going to be propagandized in a free society. Right. You've got advertising on every every available service pretty much nowadays. And these guys are, you know, in the private sector, at the cutting edge of using a lot of these uh, black propaganda techniques and incorporating them into their advertising in dishonest ways. So, I mean, right. it's it's just one of those things, you, you know, we've already been living with and we just have to learn to, to accept. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for the update on that. No problem. All righty. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Okay. Uh, Russ.
Hey, Russ. Unmute yourself, please. Unmute yourself by pressing the uh, mic icon at the bottom right of the screen. Because we have some more callers, so do it. It's pretty easy. Bottom right of the screen, mic icon, the like or the heart, depending on what you have, right next to the room. All right. Brian. Okay, Brian. Able to. And I need your, I'm not, it's not, are you able to? Russ from Q. All right, I'm trying to invite you to. What? All right, well, let's go to Brent. I'm trying. Okay, let's see. If it works. All right, Brent, unmute yourself. All right, unmute yourself by hitting the bottom right corner of the screen where there's a little. Huh, we're having a couple of. Uh, app or if it's the callers well we're gonna go to travers. and come back okay travers all right uh, or Brent, just unmute yourself. It's you guys. That's the bottom right of the screen. Um. All right. Uh, I'm ready. What is happening? I, all right, Travers. No, Chuck, unmute yourself, please. Bottom right of the screen. Chuck, are you there? Hello, can you hear me? Hi. Oh my God, thank God. Oh my God, thank God. Hey, don't know what happened there. That was all weird and wonderful. Um, um, hi, just, uh, just, just to say quickly, um, I've been listening to you, Katie, for a few years, yourself and uh, Matt. And I must say, I do miss Matt. But in a way, I'm glad I was introduced to Aaron because Aaron's doing a pretty good job there too. Um, I quickly wanted to discuss the January 6th hearings. Um, I'm obviously, if you don't pick it up from the voice, I'm not from the U.S., but I do follow a lot of U.S. media and stuff. I don't see the point of the hearings beyond maybe getting a bump, well, hopefully getting a bump for the Democrats in the midterms and uh, trying to work off the back of all the uh, Johnny Depp trial, trying to get some uh, PR for politicians for that, but I don't see why they didn't do this a year and a half ago. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, yes, it does. Um, big echo happening. Um, yeah, I mean, you watch our show yeah, on Monday. You watch our show on Monday morning show on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I catch on it. YouTube. Um, I, yeah. I get the podcast and yeah. I watch it on YouTube as well. Yeah. 
We try to talk about that a lot. We try to talk about that a lot. But I don't know an idea about why it didn't take place earlier. Because at this point, you know, it's kind of, it's gotten so far from people's memories. One, they don't care. Well, that's my take on it. Also, you've got so much bigger problems, not just in the US, but worldwide with inflation, oil prices, everything else. And for the average American, I don't think this is really a priority. You know, if you can't afford to gas or food prices going up and everything else, this just seems like pointless pageantry. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But I think they're yeah, trying I think to... What it is. But I think they're trying stuff. to... Right. Okay, you're, yeah. you're breaking up a bit here, so... Um, I'll just say quickly, you guys are doing a great job. Thank you very much, and please keep it up. Thanks, Travers. Sorry, I was breaking up. I hear myself. Yeah, no worries. I hear myself, so it must be going through. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. All right, Russ. Hi, Russ. Unmute yourself. Bottom right of the screen. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Um, love uh, both of your work that you do. Thanks. I, um, I'm calling in from Australia. Um, nice. I, I follow a few people in your sphere, sort of from Jimmy Dore and others i wonder if there was a single topic that progressives could pick um and i think that could be say julian assange and many progressives um united on this front and said look we will only align with the the larger democratic force if we get our way do you think that's something that could actually work um i think that i don't know honestly like you mean withholding our vote yes look i i i've been um a strategist um in in politics in the UK and Australia, and I and I'm quite often bemused by American politics. I think it's I follow it because I think America is such an important um, part of what's going on in the world. But I I just it fascinates me how how disorganised it all seems, <laughs> and even even. Um, People, I mean, obviously, they were, you know, I've seen a lot of things with Kyle and Jimmy and everyone else, and I think, oh my gosh. And I, I was just thinking, if there's one single issue that you could all unite on and say, right, we just want to get one win on the board, is that possible? And what would that be? Well, sadly, I don't think it would be Assange because I don't even think that, like, uh, I think it's a very important case, but I don't think that would be the one. I don't know. Uh, what do you think would be important? I just don't think I, the gallery has enough support. I mean, I guess it I could. Think, yeah. I think Assange could be... I think Assange would, would get enough people to collaborate um, that have a, enough of a presence on social media to garnish that kind of support that you'd need um but i i i definitely think that if if all you progressives picked a single topic and said right this is the this is the hill that we're choosing to die on type thing um and so i don't know what that particular issue would be but i think i don't think you get much more high profile than Assange, and i think you'd also get support um across the aisle um from yeah. listeners you know from yeah. 
Yeah, it has crossover appeal. But I guess I'm not really clear on what you're asking. You're saying like this would be something, it would be an ask that we'd all, this would be to like squash the beef among like lefty podcasters or this would be to get something done and make a pressure campaign? Well, I think, I think it, yes to, yes to perhaps um, unite um, some of the um, uh, lefty, as you call it, um, groups. But I just think, it, it, what would you say your last biggest win was in the US? The last what? Biggest win. The last biggest win that you've had as progressives. I, I don't know. It all. I mean, I don't know what the t- time frame is. I don't know what the metrics are. I, I can't even, I don't know. I guess I'm finding this like a little overwhelming. Um, like, Let's are we say talking- 10 years. Well, look, I I think one victory on the progressive side was, uh, for example, you know, and this Bernie Sanders gets a lot of credit here, but, um, you know, moving Medicare for all into the national conversation, it was completely marginalized before. And, you know, because of the 26th campaign, I think Bernie helped mainstream with and his movement helped mainstream some that issue, which is really, really fundamental and important. So I think it's a victory. It's really hard to achieve victories in a society that is so criminal and so unjust. And uh, they're talking to happen overnight. It happens through struggle. But the civil rights movement did it. The anti-nuclear movement in the 80s, they did it. They, they helped pressure to get, you know, the arms control treaties that we got in the 80s. And, and popular movements were a big part of that. So um, I don't even measure progressive achievements by, like, legislation but i do measure it by you know what was relative like relative to what came before it and um so there, and there have been achievements there you know well, yeah what what would you say the australian latest win is oh look <laughs> can i can i go back to um aaron's point before i answer that so so um and i promise not to hold the a team fandom against you aaron um <laughs> I, whilst I think what you say is true to get it up, to actually succeed on the Medicare uh, for all would have been the win. So what I'm thinking is, is what what would be your best next fight? Uh, I think... Um... Medicare for all, and uh, I mean, that to me seems like something that could attract popular support. Most people want it anyway. But uh, look, it's it's not up to us. Like we're, we're not political leaders, so it should be decided by movements and what the people want. But um, there, there's a lot to choose from. But it's a good question. I mean, it's something we should be talking about. And uh, we're gonna wrap it there. So thank you, Russ, for calling. Thanks, everybody, who called in today and listened and asked us questions. We appreciate it. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Usefulidiots.substack.com is where you can find us. And, yeah, Katie? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's about it. I'm curious about an Australian win. So if you have one off the top of your head, you can list it. If not, you can get back to it. I'll send you a message with something I was involved in that was um, what I would call a win. Great. Okay. Well, I yeah. know you're wrapping up, so I don't want to take you down a protracted path of conversation. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, everyone, again, for listening. Make sure you check out Useful Idiots from this past week. Make sure you subscribe, usefulidiots.substack.com, uh, youtube.com slash usefulidiots, listen to the podcast, and we will see you next week. All right. Thanks, everyone.